Hello, everyone. Uh, Jonathan here. And Cole as well. And we are in Skepoos at Oregon Tales HQ <laughs> for this podcast. I'm going to be talking about dog handling, or you could say dog training, and, and from a multitude of, of different um, perspectives uh, and angles. So I guess first off, um, when it comes to training, and I remember years ago shifting how we categorized ourselves. And at this point, like we don't consider ourselves dog trainers. And that kind of went by the wayside uh, many years ago. Um, we consider ourselves dog handlers. And one of the reasons for that was, I guess, the stereotype or the box that, that people put um, training, the word training in, in the sense that people are like, okay, I'm going to send my dog to this trainer and they're going to fix them. And then they're going to come back, and then that's that. And I guess we just saw that so frequently, and so we kind of shifted away from being called trainers or categorizing ourselves as trainers, but instead saying, like, we're handlers. We're dog handlers. We also don't consider that what we do for our work like we're not going to take someone's dog and train them and send them home trained so it also didn't really fit with our yeah because we don't do board we didn't do board and trains i mean occasionally we would um from time to time on special circumstances but even in that we were more like we'll work with your dog for a month or two and see how far we can get it within that period of time and and that's that. So, yeah, we weren't doing board and trains um, in that sense where it's like your dog's going to come to us and learn A, B, and C. So, so anyway, so that's kind of how we segued away from using the term trainer um, and moved to dog handler because it really we're just handling dogs right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the way I, I, I categorize it we go pick dogs up in the city and we handle them all day and we we help them move through stuff and then they go home and so i guess i don't really consider us training we just literally learn to handle dogs and handle their behaviors um so we're also not training behaviors or qualities, actually more specifically like um, asks of the dog. We're not training them to have obedience in certain ways. We're teaching them how to exist in the world and feel better in our care. And that feels like it doesn't quite resonate with the word training. Yeah, I mean, we do focus on recall um, and leave it. So there are some asks, but our main focus is just harmony in life. Yeah. 
that's that's the the foundation of where we're coming from when we're going to work with a dog. It's not rooted in obedience. It's not rooted in recall. It's not rooted in leave it. It's just rooted in in harmony, right? And and helping them move through life with more of that, right? And even in like the workshop situations, um, I'd say we're like teaching, we're teaching the people how to handle and guide their dogs, how to support them. Yeah, exactly. And so that, that's another facet, another great point, because many years ago, um, again, kind of around the same time we shifted away from the, the word training, um, we just started putting more emphasis on giving people the skills, right? right? So having this skill set ourselves, but then honing our ability to um, hand off those skills right? And, and really focusing on working with people who wanted to learn um, right. rather than working with people who are like, fix my dog. Right, train them. Yeah. Yeah. And just focusing more on people who want to spend hours a day or an hour. A day. I mean, hopefully just at least an hour a day. <laughs> like we, that is bare minimum. Um, <clears throat> so. Yeah. People that wanted to get to know their dog, work with them intimately. Yeah. And it's not like super prevalent. Like it's not all pervading in the horse world, but when you go in the horse world, like people will on a weekly basis have lessons with a horse trainer. And I know that that exists in the dog world as well, but usually when we see that, it's like puppies. It's mm. just puppies where they have like a six week training situation. And then that's it. It's not this consistency. Um, but in the horse world, I see a lot more consistency. You know, over the years, people mm -hmm. will weekly go and work with a trainer and they'll just keep working. They'll keep refining. Um, so I've, I've definitely, I've admired that about the horse world. And, and also at the same time being kind of perplexed. Um, why that's not necessarily the case in in the dog world i know that it is in in some spheres for sure um but it's not as as pervasive in the horse world in the dog world or sorry in the dog world yes yeah um so so touching on you know before like what did what did we do and how long it did it take before i was like i want to train with people now i want to help people and like doing one-on-ones yes sessions with them workshops yeah okay um i Started with Oregon Tales, I think in 2009. It was like May, April or May of 2009. And my sister owned the business at the time. And 
it was it was just it was it was what it was it was kind of a free-for-all definitely not nearly nearly what it is today <laughs> by by a, by a long shot um but as the years carried on got more seasoned the pack grew to the point to where we were oh i don't know there was maybe 25 or 30 dogs coming out on a regular basis and we were working five days a week And I think it took me about five to six years, maybe seven, before I was confident enough in my ability to help other people. Kind of no matter what somebody inquired with, I was confident that I could help them. And you know, that, that five to, to seven years now is kind of a big window. I just really can't remember. Um, but within that time frame, you know, I was working with 25 or 30 dogs off leash and building, just learning. They were teaching me. And I was learning by trial and error, making lots of mistakes but at the same time, having an immense amount of success. Um, like you can go back on our Instagram and see that we had a, a very good handle on the dogs. Some of them were more challenging. Um, but in any event, that's kind of how long it took me to really feel like, okay, I can, I want to help other people. I want to try to give this knowledge to other people. I probably could have started a lot sooner, but I probably wouldn't have been as successful because I wasn't as successful with as with a multitude of different behaviors. Um, so that's why I just kept on, to a degree, postponing it and postponing it. And I'd give little tips here and there and whatnot, but nothing really formal. And another facet of that was Juno and my dog Juno. So I got him and, and he was he was a, a handful, had many different behaviors, like he killed a couple cats, um, would eat things, open cabinets and eat things, break out of uh, when he was at his previous home, they had him in a kennel and they couldn't keep him in the kennel because he would either injure himself or break free. And he'd get in dog fights and scuffles and blah, blah. It's kind of the whole gambit. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the whole gambit. And, and so he was the other thing kind of pushing me, kind of keeping, helping me keep my blinders on in regards to helping other people. Cause I was like, man, I have my hands full as it is. And so he inspired me to want to get better, build our relationship because I just felt inside of me where I was like, if he's going to be the representation of my abilities, then I would like that to be to the fullest extent. 
And so that was another reason why I kind of pushed teaching and sharing the knowledge that I did have. And when you started teaching, it was a long time ago, but I remember Juno at that time, and he was pretty far along overcoming his, um, what he came to you with. Yeah. Like, where was he at when you started teaching? Do you remember in his development? I mean, I could, I remember one dog specifically going over to this person's house and they had this, um, aggressive dog and, and he was capable of being audibly guided while I handled this, this aggressive dog, aggressive dog. And so I could give him cues to do dot, dot, dot off leash Mm -hmm. while this dog was not being super friendly on leash. So attached to me. the reactivity was pretty gone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, like he was over his cat stuff and, and all that. I think he still would eat like horse manure. That mm-hmm. was, that was like his cup of tea. The last thing <laughs> was, to go. <laughs> that, ooh, he loved that. <laughs> I remember a couple occasions being at the barn where I got Merlin and I'd get busy working with Merlin or whatever. And then I'd turn around and see Juno and he was just like a balloon. <laughs> he, <laughs> he had just gorged himself on horse poop. Um, yeah, that happened quite a few times, but. <laughs> but that was still a long time ago. Yeah, that was, that was a long time ago. So, so yeah, so he was pretty far along. He had transcended quite a, pretty much the majority of his, of his stuff. Um, so again, that's why I felt confident when I was like, okay, I have overcome all of these things. So now I'm like, I'm, I feel pretty confident in if somebody came to me, I would have a a pretty clear path forward for them Mm. to conquer those same things. Mm -hmm. Um, even if the dog was pretty extreme because Mm -hmm. Juno was pretty extreme. So everything below that was just kind of quite easier right so 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 yeah it took me quite a bit of time to to build up my desire to want to share just based on that i put that pressure on myself to grow my skills and my knowledge um to such a degree with myself and the pack as well as my personal dog so um yeah. So what was what was your experience? Um I mean, mine was longer than yours. Right. Uh I think I hit 15 years this year training working with dogs. Mm-hmm. Way back in the day it was training when it was um obedience and treats with guide dogs. And how many did you do? Guide dogs? Yeah. 4. four so I did that dogs. for 5 years, which mm-hmm. was treats, clickers, um, obedience training. And they were at a younger age. Yeah, they started at four months and then we went to about a year and a half. It mm-hmm. was kind of fluid when they would pull them to go into formal training, but you were raising puppies pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, and they and used it was very regimented. Super regimented. They had like a textbook that was like 
Yeah, it was like inches Massive. thick. Yeah. yeah, of all the things you could and couldn't do, couldn't play ball, couldn't have them on couches, no food from your hand, like very strict. Um, couldn't poop on walks. Although uh, a couple is- <laughs> of years poop, like I remember you say, told me a story about one of them pooped in the mall. Oh yeah, that was he was like five months old. He was my first one. I was like. 13. Let's go shopping at the mall. Well, you go everywhere. You know, you go to movie theaters. You can go to like airports. Like you mm. can go anywhere with these dogs, which was amazing because you could go. And you weren't lying about it. Like, yeah, t- <laughs> totally. <laughs> you weren't. So I wasn't. I wasn't faking it. It was real. It. It, was it was real. real. I think the only place we couldn't take them was to the zoo, just for health reasons. Um, but we went into like planes to make sure they were okay with that. We went mm. into movie theaters to make sure they were okay with the noise. And for that outing, we were in a mall and he pooped. I mean, he was still like, maybe he was five months old. Um, we were on the way out and he pooped in the mall and he pooped out of marble. Mm. And it rolled <laughs> down, you know, those aisles in the mall. And I was I was a kid and I was mortified. Um, anyways, well, at least it was a marble <laughs> right. and, yeah. and the pile, you know, right. um, but yeah, so I think I was about, um, like 10 years into handling dogs when I started working with people between guide dogs and Oregon tails between, yeah. Cause I hit 10 years with Oregon tails this year, which is mm-hmm. 2020. Um, and five years before that. And I think we've been tre- teaching for Maybe five years. Yeah, just about five years. Just about five. The workshops teaching. Yes. Yeah, which is where I started teaching. Like I didn't do one-on-ones before that. Um, that was kind of my outlet in. Um, and it wasn't really something that I was seeking out. Um, I was very content with just what we were doing and supporting the workshops how I could. And it just organically came together with that where I was just like chomping at the bit to get in there to help people that you were maybe helping someone else and I would jump in with somebody else and it just organically happened. Um, But within myself, I mean, my experience with the gentle method, any method before that, I didn't feel confident teaching at all to people. There were gaps in my understanding. There were maybe dogs that I couldn't work with So I could work with a certain range of dogs through obedience or through like more correction-based handling. But then other dogs I would have more challenging situations with. And to me, I'm like, if there's a, if I'm having a hard time with a certain kind of dog, I don't really have the right to be teaching someone if I'm not complete in my understanding, like if I couldn't take that dog and help them get to a better place, then there's not really room for me to be teaching someone else how to get that dog there. Um, And it wasn't really until the gentle method where I felt like I had more of a complete understanding of a method where it felt very unbounded in the dogs that I could work with and in the success in that. And like the method was second nature to me. I didn't have to think or question when I worked with a dog, like what would, you know, what's going on in the method here? (laughs) 
Um, sorry, got a message. Um, like what's going on in the method here or what was that exercise again? Or am I doing this right? Or does this feel right? I mean, there's always going to be self-reflection in anything we do, but it was the movements and the feeling and the lead. It was second nature. It was just what happened on the other end of the lead. And that level of confidence was something that made me feel like I had something to share with others. Because, I mean, you were skilled. Like, when you were hiking dogs in the pack, though, you had a level of skill that you could then have gone and helped people with. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely had a high level of skill um, before the gentle method. What was, like, why didn't you feel inclined to go and teach up to that skill? I guess because it was still limited. And I feel like when you teach something, if there are limitations in what you're teaching, there's not this complete, there are, there are gaps in it. There's not a complete understanding of what you're doing if it's only working some of the time with certain dogs. Like there's something missing, which was, you know, I felt that in my handling outside of, I mean, I wasn't training people, but even with the pack, I felt that where I was like, yeah, it's working with this dog, mm. but I can't let go of the fact that I'm not, it's not working with this other dog. Mm. Mm -hmm. I couldn't let go of that. And so because of that feeling, I just didn't even cross my mind to share it with other people mm -hmm. because I just wasn't there yet. But then when I did feel that, where I shifted from feeling limited to being like, hand me any dog and I'll be able to get there. It And then to have that be so natural to me, like it becomes a part of you. Like I played violin for 13 years as a kid and it there was a point in my practice where the instrument felt like a part of you. And that's, that's, I feel like when you're getting somewhere to like a really sweet spot with something in your life, an instrument, a practice, um, or there's a deeper connection between you and it. And that's when I started teaching with dogs. Hmm. Yeah, I guess in my it's funny because because i had kind of a, a different experience with it as i mentioned I, I had juno i wanted to get dialed at that point did you have stitch um not I when you so. not when you started teaching no i didn't have stitch you didn't. Hmm. no I mean, I've had Stitch for seven years, and I've been teaching for five. Mm-hmm. Got it. Four. So then there was like two years there where you you were building him out to get yeah. him to oh, a good oh, place. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no way I would teach the gentle method if Stitch didn't know it completely. Right. Like, I got... And you, like, you and I get so refined in it that 
Stitch had to be um, an, an example of the of what it sh- what it could the ultimate of what it could look like. Right. That's when you. That's when I was like, I will teach, and it m- multiplied it too. Like mm-hmm. you did it with a couple other foster dogs. I did it with Tate. Right. Um, we did it with a pack, or we were. Yeah, lots. Lots, lots, like. I mean, we were proofing it at that point. We were like, okay, we designed this thing or we were are designing this thing and then we applied it to the pack and then we just started observing. We're like, how does this change? And our days just started getting easier Mm -hmm. and easier and easier and more smooth and the dogs were enjoying more. They looked better. Mm -hmm. They felt better. They felt better. But inside of me was Stitch. It feel it it would have felt weird to teach someone the gentle method step one. Let's say if Stitch couldn't do it, like that's just kind of bizarre to me. Um, like I wouldn't I I wouldn't feel comfortable teaching someone that and then not being able to show an example of it through Stitch of what it could look like. Right. Yeah. I guess my experience also was different than yours in the sense that I had an immense amount of skill. Like maybe Juno wasn't at that like up to par just yet, but I had a lot of skill. But then when I started teaching, mm-hmm. I realized that what what the like the process and this is kind of what what led us led me to move to the gentle method one of the reasons was that having that skill and having you know even a a decent dog at the time um and being able to handle that many dogs was the transition to other people so that knowledge being transitioned Mm -hmm. to other people so like you maybe had a a a ceiling and you were like okay i feel confident handling these kinds of dogs Mm -hmm. right and there were some that you're like no i can't handle them or whatnot Mm -hmm. i didn't have that ceiling right Yeah. yeah i didn't have that ceiling um but I still was perfecting mm-hmm. my ability. Mm-hmm. Um, one was, again, Juno. And then even when I started teaching from that skill level, I quickly realized that the transition to other people was pretty darn challenging. Like teaching them how to do what you do. Yes, teaching them how to do what I do, the timing of it. Um, And then not only that, but people were, I mean, because we used quite a bit more like alpha tactics. Um, We were more physical and corrections and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And we do, I I was dealing with people who were like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't like, yes, it gets results, but I don't like the way my dog looks. I don't like the way they act, right? Um, or, or I don't like the way it makes me feel. 
Right. Or I can't do it because or I my dog's do giant and <laughs> tiny. Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or there's a disparity in weight or size or something like that. <clears throat> so that was that was definitely very interesting when I started teaching. Where I was like, okay, like I'm I'm now embarking on this new thing of teaching people, and I can do it, but the transition to other people was just it was pretty pretty evident. I mean, even for me, like I was one of your students. Right. And I I didn't get I didn't I had a ceiling forever with that kind of training. Yeah, and you tried handling. quite hard. <laughs> you, you tried the tried hardest. Quite hard. <laughs> and there were some very challenging dogs that we had that you know, I yeah. Yeah. So so that was also that was very interesting, you know, once I got to that point where I was like I'm going to start teaching and then I quickly realized that this isn't really translatable. And then I was also, I was also, I remember because it was all in me and it wasn't like this, it was more off the cusp. Like an organic cuff, an process. Or, organic process. I remember having conversation with people being like, well, I don't know because I haven't seen your dog. Mm. And then I get there because <clears throat> I'd be like, I want to see what your dog gives me and this and that. Because it was a, it was very much an organic process. Like I was reacting to the dog, mm. the to the dog's reaction. That's a really good point. Yeah. And that's kind of how I would move, and that's how I would train. And again, we were very successful. But now, it's like I remember making the decision when it came to one-on-ones of like having everyone come to the ranch instead of going to their home and doing stuff, doing things in that more organic way. Cause now we had this system, this process mm -hmm. that we take every dog through. It doesn't matter what behavior it is. Of course, there's going to be little nuances that change how and whatnot, but we always start with step one and then we proceed on. I feel like during that time, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were you were working with people in the home one-on-one -on -one in this more dominant alpha whatever kind of way. And then I remember you taking time off from it when the gentle method was being created and you didn't do any handling no, or teaching for like years, yeah. for a couple of years while we were perfecting and you were creating the method. Yeah. And then once it was established and we had success, then then we brought that back in. Yeah. You brought that back in. Yeah. And then it was it was like instead of being like, I need to see your dog in this and that, it's like just okay, come to the ranch. I know exactly what we're gonna be going over. Right. Because it's not reacting to the dog, it's it's asking something of the relationship and building the relationship within this simple structure of step one just walking in a circle and trying to accomplish that. <laughs> you know, it's like just trying to accomplish that. And that's the baby step. Um, rather than me walking through the door and the dog exploding mm. and then having to walk the human through <clears throat> that level of intensity 
of and and like the subtleties behind all of that it's like now it's just put your dog on a leash and do these do these few things well rather than going through like the psychology or or who yeah i'm not gonna get into all of it but but you're also we're prepping the person first and the dog instead of walk in the door and you have to learn a new way of communicating with the dog and you're in the middle of a trigger yes it's It's, just you're removing that and you're like i'm going to teach you how to communicate with each other we're going to build that foundation and then we'll we'll begin those situations but you already know what to do right that's exactly it and it's still, I still sometimes get like the vibe from people when they inquire about one-on-ones where they're like, I just, I want you to fix my problems. Mm. And, and I feel like when I used to go into those, those trainings, that's kind of what it was where it's like, we just go straight to the problem. Mm. And now, <clears throat> and now we don't do that. Now it's. Right. I mean, the problem may show up initially, but we just, we ease our way into the problem. We yeah. don't just come and full Monty it, you know? Yeah. Even though we do get there pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. With some dogs, it definitely, we get there pretty quick. Yeah. For sure. Can. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember the two dogs that we worked with like about a year ago. Yeah. And they... They came, the humans came back because we were working with them. They came home from work and they were like, wow, you're already there. Right. You're already, you're already poking at the the thing. Yeah. And we're like, yeah. And they were kind of shocked that we were able to do what we were doing, having only been working with them for a few hours or a couple hours or something like that. So, but anyways, that, that was, that was pretty interesting and kind of eye opening. So Instead of just showing up and going for the jugular or the the behavior and then trying to convey all of the things that the person needs to go over, it's like we just set somebody up with just step one, maybe step two and three and just be like, go practice this, learn to feel your dog and learn to work through the little battles that you may have there before attempting to address the battles when there's a new human or there's a cat or so on and so forth. You're out in public. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point of, um, you know, you said that some people will inquire and you get the feeling that they do want you to just fix problems. I think that we're pretty honest with people about that now. And pretty upfront about how we don't really do that. We don't really come in and train your dog. Um, it's it's a different kind of process. Yeah, I mean, people will write on their application to do student of the dog. Like, I'm looking for that sit, that stay come sit a better sit or better this or that behavior and ask and and we're just like okay well 
we're going to help you like connect with your dog in a different way so that those things will become easier. But it's not, we don't tackle those things specifically. Right. Right. It's just, we come at everything from a much more broad perspective. Subtle. Subtle perspective. Because another example of this is, I remember there was a period of time when we were applying the gentle method, but we were still doing certain asks, like asking dogs to sit and like asking them different obedience down and stay and whatever. Yeah. And I remember dogs that we had had and then new dogs coming in, we were practicing the gentle method with them. This was so cool to observe practicing the gentle method with them and then asking them to do those things and it was like so soft and instantaneous Mm -hmm. and it just made me realize like we were quieting like all of their obedience was there that they had practiced maybe it was a puppy or who knows when they practiced it but it was there yeah but they were just so scattered and so that during that period of time, I've just realized like, wow, we're like quieting the dog's physiology. And then there's all the obedience. Right. It's right there. All the skills are it's there. Right, it's, it's all there. Mm-hmm. You, you just need to uncover it. And if it's not there, it's can be it's super easy to teach. Pretty easy to teach. Very yeah. easy. Like there are some more challenging cases where you really have to do quite a bit of work but then a lot of them are it's right there yeah i mean it's i think that it's very easy teaching dogs with quiet minds that we've helped get there new things totally you know so anywho so that's kind of how how long I waited before I decided to teach, um, and then that's how long Cole waited. <laughs> so I think part of the reason why we wanted to share that is because there's definitely a, an observation that we've made over the years teaching in the sense that people will come to our workshop or they'll they'll go to other people's workshops maybe they'll go to one maybe they'll go to two and then they'll go and teach it which to each their own um but for us that just is so foreign Mm -hmm. and to have people come to student of the dog learn And then go home and start trying to teach that to people without having spent months or years practicing it. With with many different dogs. With many different dogs, many different behaviors, behavior types, breeds. Um, It's just interesting. You know, another, like, the other thing is, is that I, I follow Buck for years. Buck Brandeman. Six, seven years followed him just observing natural horsemanship. And then when I got Merlin practicing natural horsemanship before I applied it to the gentle method. Um, and I'm more of a, a dog guy 
there's no way I would go and teach horsemanship at this point. I probably could. I could probably help quite a few people, but I'm still not quite there in to the degree that I would want to be at to then go and teach. So again, for us, it's just very interesting to observe other people and what kind of they're inclined to do after a workshop. You know, maybe they get a certificate. We don't give certificates out. Um, like we haven't quote unquote endorsed anyone in the gentle method to be teaching it. Um, but there's plenty of people who are doing that. And there a lot of them are having success. Like we get many DMs and many emails. And if you have my phone number, I get texts about the success that people have with it, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's cool to hear. Which is fantastic. Um, but again, it's just interesting. Yeah, it's a different way of going about it. And I, in my mind, I go to one that were maybe we're weird. Like it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we wait. Till... Maybe we're just the odd man out, you know, yeah. odd person out. Um, I think a part of it might be. I don't know, like, do you think that in order to teach, there needs to be a level of mastery within yourself? Uh, I mean, personally, yes. Okay. Because I feel a little bit of that in myself. Personally, yes. Absolutely. And I think that that's the case with, um, like, mine, and I believe that they're your mentors outside of... Well, just in general in life, I have three mentors, you, Buck Branaman, and then Maharshi. And when I look at the three of you, you're all masters of your craft. And that's where that that's what resonates with me as someone that I would look up to to learn from, as someone who has a deep, deep understanding of their craft and what they're teaching in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the people that my are my like role models. Um, they're masters in yeah. their craft, so I guess then yeah, like it's, Maharshi. It's the same, right? <laughs> yeah, Maharshi, and then uh, a high school teacher of mine who's just unbelievable. Um, and Buck and. You know, reading the books of his mentors. Mm-hmm. And I just, I know that they were masters. Right. Um, and that's kind of all that I've got as yeah. far as role models and stuff. But you're right, they they were all masters. And, and not kind of limited by anything. Right, it's in like their if field. They're horse, yeah, in their field. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there weren't any gaps, so. Yeah. So I guess maybe that that's um maybe a difference. Yeah, but it is interesting because um because there is a lot of success with someone who just gets nuggets of our teaching. You can walk away with incredible success in the dog that you brought 
and then in dogs that you potentially work with. And so it's an interesting line between kind of holding out until there's that deeper understanding or taking what you have and doing what you can. Right. And that's that that's the whole point. That's the interesting thing. Yeah. Because it's, you know, we don't, number one, we don't gossip. Number two, we don't like just talk about people amongst ourselves. Um, but it's just, it's just interesting to observe this thing because when I knew when we started teaching, I was like this, that this is going to happen. Like I knew that people were going to come take the workshop, take what they wanted and then come up with some kind of Frankenstein recipe of the gentle method as well as like other techniques. Mm -hmm. And we don't have any control over that really. Right. Um, so, and like, who's to say what is right and wrong? Yeah. It's just like what feels good to yeah. and, us. And I knew that was going to happen, but I wasn't, that wasn't a deterrent. Right. F- to sharing. Um, so. Yeah. So I guess when it comes to sharing and, you know, things that we have thought about over the years, observed, um, when it comes to, like, civilians, just everyday lay people mm-hmm. looking to find a dog trainer, or dog handler what what to look for well there's so many people there's so many different methods so many different ways of doing it within the methods so many different trainers like i would feel so overwhelmed if i was just an, a person with a dog who needed help yeah this day and age yeah there's like i remember my mom when we had dogs growing up she she would look in the telephone book <laughs> for a trainer. For trainers, <laughs> nice. And so there was just not very many at all. And now it's like everywhere. Well, and it's it's black and white too. Parts of it, you know, someone's going to say this is good, and then the next person's going to say that's not good. Yeah. And so navigating that, and it's all in your face. Yeah, it's super challenging. So I think a big part of navigating that would be feeling yourself what feels good to you like we always say that at workshops like if this doesn't feel good to you don't do it go find something else you have to practice what feels good to you yeah because if it's not feeling good to you it's not going to feel good to the dog yeah period so that that's a, a crucial element to for us you know, it's what what's felt good. Um, and you were kind of, you were another facet to the gentle method coming into existence. Um, just because you didn't feel super awesome to handling dogs the way that we handled them. There, yeah. Because there were those limits that you had on yourself. So 
So yeah, definitely doing, finding something, whatever the method may be, like we're not dog handlers, or if you want to call us dog trainers that are going to sit here and be like, that method's not cool. That method's the best. This method's not cool. That method's not cool. Mm -hmm. You have to do it this way. Whatever floats your boat. That's life. Um, We're not going to sit here and, and say that what we do is the best way. I mean, we do feel like it is or else we would be doing something else. I, I would not, I wouldn't practice the gentle method if I thought that there was something better because I would just go and master that. Right. Um, and if the gentle method didn't exist, I wouldn't be working with dogs because right. nothing else feels good to me. Right. Nothing else does. But that's that's for you and for you and me. Well, I think that we are also just our journey in the dog world is is quite different than a lot of people's in the sense that um, we had twenty five or upwards of fifty five plus dogs off leash. And so those methods in this setting, uh, it's not going to fly. Yeah. Like moving through life with that many dogs is just. That aren't ours. (laughs) That are not ours. And you think about it. It's funny because the way you think about it, like it's like 50 times of what one of what the normal person would want in their life. Because each dog, we'd pick them up, we're a stranger. People want their dogs to be comfortable with strangers. They want their dogs to be comfortable traveling in a vehicle. They want their dogs to be comfortable with other dogs. They want their dogs to listen. They want their dogs to be off leash. They want their dogs to be cool with uh, seeing prey animals and leaving them. They want their dogs to be comfortable being bathed. Like our whole day is a normal, is, is what everyone wants, but just times 55 or now it's 25 because our pack's much smaller. Right. And so our, our setup was so different than most people in that sense so like using food we tried that for a brief moment and i was like nope this is not gonna not gonna (laughs) not gonna fly not gonna fly because we'd have dogs with resource guarding we'd have dogs that were just nuts about food in like a jolly way and so once we had the food that was all of their existence they wouldn't go play they wouldn't go and smell they wouldn't they wouldn't be a dog they cared about us but i'm like that's that's not what you're humans are paying me for you know right, right. they're paying you paying us to for you to come out here and enjoy life and and socialize not be fixated on me because i have food right um or we tried toys and it was the same thing we'd have resource garters or yeah. we'd have dogs that were just like so fixated on the toy they would just forget that they were even on a ranch in a beautiful place and they had access to playing and smelling and swimming and stuff and i was like that's not really gonna fly either or dogs that just didn't care about either or dogs and then and then what because we're so 
so in that sense it was quite different um when it came to the methodologies you know and so it didn't none of those things felt good to us because they didn't succeed in a large scope as large of a scope that we had yeah you know yeah it's an unusual situation that we have yeah but you know coming back to these different methodologies a lot of people i mean just just take obedience for example they want their dog to be obsessed with them Mm -hmm. they want that we don't want that because we want to go for a walk and not have our dog obsessing over us but rather going to greet other dogs Mm -hmm. going to just going to be a dog right right and so that has felt good. That felt good to us to like move through obedience, move through food, um, move through kind of those things to eventually what we created was the gentle method because right. that is nothing felt good to us. Nothing worked on that large of a scale and scope. And so here we are today. Right. <clears throat> but for the everyday person i think that it would it's valuable for folks to do research and go interview a trainer and look at what they're capable of look at their personal dogs and look at the tools they use look at maybe just their personality their their own kind of their energy and if all of those things line up then give it a try and then maybe you'll try it and you're like well i don't really want to use e-collars or i don't really want to use a prong collar and then you'll do research because it's super easy to do nowadays because mm-hmm. everything is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you'll you'll stumble across somebody else, a trainer who doesn't who does all of those things, but they don't use prong collars or enter any whatever recipe it is that you want in that. Right. Um, you kind of look at what 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 they've created. Yes, look at what they've created. I remember seeing Buck for the first time and just being blown away at the harmony that he had with the horses that he was riding. Like it was like love at first sight. Yeah. (laughs) It it was, it rocked me in, in that way. Just like when I saw you for the first time. (laughs) Oh, nice one. (laughs) Uh, Which is, is the reality of the situation. Um, but you look at something like that, like for me, when I look at Buck without even asking him, because I've never talked to him except for like, hello, good afternoon. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, I look at him with his animals and I'm like, there's nothing he can't do. Yeah. He has no limitations. And it is a lot of work. But there's an effortlessness to that work. Yes. Like there's a, it's that mastery again. Right. And then, and then looking at him and seeing and thinking you could do anything with that horse. Yeah. And, and that, 
that's kind of the exact feeling that I had as well. And then, like, just looking at the horse's demeanor. Yeah. You know, it was just placid. No matter what he asked this horse to do, even challenging things, it just stayed neutral the whole time. And I just remember seeing that, and I was like, that is what I want. That is what I want to create for myself, and that's what I want to create with uh, my relationship with Juno and the mm-hmm. dogs that we handle, and then give that to other people if they want it. It's it's neutral, but it's also lively. Yes, like it, he will talk about that a lot, where he's like, We're, "We don't want a dull horse." Yes, like there's neutrality, but there's so much life behind it. Yes, and so much connection between the two. Yeah, neutrality. Yeah, but the, I know I know good, some people think neutrality and they think like dullness and dullness. that's, that's and definitely it's, not there's what so we're much about. like vitality behind it and right. I see it like to me I see it in you too with with Juno and you're beginning like I see it more and more with Merlin mm-hmm. um yeah so I just I remember seeing him and just being like yep this is I'm I'm good like I've found I found what I wanted Mm. and I haven't looked at any any other kind of horsemanship. I mean, maybe occasionally things will pop up here and there, like on Instagram, or maybe somebody told me about this horse person and I would go and check it out. But I would always juxtapose that over buck or natural horsemanship. And Mm -hmm. I would just, I'd be like, no, it's not for me. Because I didn't see the level of completeness in it. So. Right. So anyways, so so for the everyday person, I mean, it's just going out and finding something. And, and you know, maybe you just want a good sit, stay, a good dog that just listens to you. Yeah, walks well on leash. And, walks, or, and that's it. Yeah. And and you could find quite a few trainers who, who get that and they're just going to go about that in different ways. Totally. And so then it's just like, do you want to have to carry a food around with you? Or do you want to have to buy a couple extra tools, maybe an e-collar and a prong collar, or maybe if you're a, a balanced trainer, um, that's what I guess they call them, which I didn't even know what a balance, I heard balanced trainer. And I was like, what is that? Because isn't balance subjective? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And then sure. I was like, I've come to realize that it's actually a term because they use positive reinforcement or reinforcers like food and then corrections. So that's mm-hmm. why they come up with the, the balance. So so you could find a trainer that has that uses e-collars and prong collars, but they also use food as a reinforcer so it kind of it's all out there yeah you can do it it's all out there um and to each their own you know like we don't want to work with you if it doesn't feel good yeah you should go carry on your way and find somebody else that 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 suits you and suits your dog yeah so i think so too it's very important for us um and asking people questions too asking you know, maybe what what they've overcome with their personal dogs. Um, mm-hmm. Are there limitations with their personal dogs? Are their dogs even there? And then mm-hmm. why not? Like, I think that there's, it can be challenging to ask someone that you're going to for help questions. 
Yeah, it definitely should be an interview. Yeah, where you're both communicating with each other and asking questions and um, getting to know each other mutually to see if it's a good fit for your dog and yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and and looking at the dogs too. Cuz like if you don't mind your dog the if you don't mind your dog whining and barking or let's just enter those behaviors in and like that's what you go and you see the dog trainer and their dog whines and barks but yet it can do what you want which is walk on a loose leash then you're good right because you'll probably succeed in getting your dog to walk on a loose leash and you're still going to have a dog that barks and whines or you're still going to need to use a crate or you're still going to use you need to use corrections and so but I think another really important part is to interview the dog too. <laughs> or if they have many dogs is interview quote unquote the the dog trainer's dogs as well. Cause they're the ones who aren't gonna lie. <laughs> they can't those dogs can't lie. They they're gonna they're gonna show you um who they are uh, and what they're capable of or not capable of. Um, so that's also very important, almost maybe more so than the actual trainer themselves mm, to a yeah. degree. Interviewing a trainer and then interviewing quote unquote their dogs is important because you also get to see like, are they a master in what it is that they do? Yeah, that's true. And that will obviously help you, um, make your decision, uh, and whether you continue your search or or maybe you take some some knowledge from one trainer and then you kind of go to another trainer and you take some knowledge from them and and so on and so forth and you kind of like take that approach um which which is fine um i guess again coming back to like our personal experience like talking about when I saw Buck and I was just sold on natural horsemanship. <clears throat> I didn't care how long it was going to take me. I just knew that I was going to put in the time and I was going to be dedicated to it because I saw where it could get me. Mm. And since then I haven't looked at other horses, horsemanship um, techniques and whatnot. And then when it comes to, to dog handling, it's kind of the it's kind of the same. Like my knowledge grows definitely. I feel myself expand the longer I practice the gentle method, the more I work with a multitude of dogs. That's where my, my knowledge will grows. Which is so cool because you created the gentle method. So you could be done. You could just be like, oh, I'm done growing. I'm done learning. Like, right. You know, I guess so. I'm but. at, I'm there. I'm at the peak, <laughs> but there's, you know, there's, and I feel the same way. There's always little bits of learning. Yeah. It becomes a lot smaller and way more refined. Right. Um, and quiet. But, 
I mean, just the more you practice something, the better you're going to get at it, period. Yeah, at anything. <clears throat> yeah, totally. So, and even if you're practicing a different method of handling, it's still going to take that time to get to a more developed level of understanding. Like anything is going to take time to really, truly understand what it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so you can take a little bit away from something, from any method, but there's a lot of other things that may, might be left behind that you're not, or a person might not be taking with them, which is fine. Right. Um, yeah, I think it just comes back to like mastery. Like, you know, I look at so many different types of training and I didn't delve into a lot of them, but when I look at, I mean, I know there's limitations to them or else I would I'd probably be doing them. And of course, <clears throat> that's a, a point to be argued. Um, I'm sure somebody listening to this <laughs> is going to maybe not take, take fond views of, of that comment, but When it comes to, let's just say, positive only, somebody had to come up with that method and have so much success with it. This is what I'm hypothetically speaking, right. thinking. To where they were like, I'm going to now teach this to people. This is my, how it goes in my head, right? Mm -hmm. And so people who go in and learn it and don't necessarily give it a try who are attracted to it and they're like, mm, and then they fall away from it. Like they begin on the path. They begin on the path and then they just fall off the path. Mm -hmm. I'm like, is that because what does that do to like, mm. Is it due to them realizing the gaps in the methodology or is it due to a lack of grit to stick it out? Because I can't help but think like if somebody is going to put something out into the world, they've back tested it enough to know that it works with every dog. Right. That it, that it works, period. Right. Or if it doesn't work with every dog, then to have a disclaimer on it. Right. Right. But I just go in my head. I'm just like, if, if, and this is just me projecting, cause I wouldn't put the gentle method out there if I didn't have the confidence that it would work with, with every dog. Right. With any person, with any dog, any person, with any dog. Obviously if you're handicapped, it might be a little challenging. Yeah, totally. Um, so there's some, some outlying situations there, yeah, but always. Or if your your dog's handicapped, you know, then there's some outlying some some outliers there. But for the most part, yes. Um, and so I just look at other methodologies and I put the same same lens on it, right? Mm -hmm. And and so again, when I when I see people come into a student of the dog or they they go to this workshop and they they learn and they go to another one like maybe a month later or the next year and then they go to another one the next year and they just kind of like shop around dog mm -hmm. training 
I'm like, you're, you're seeking still. You're still searching. Right. For something that works. And is it like, does it work? Is it, are you searching for something that works for you? Like what's a good fit for them? Yeah. Like what's a good fit for you, for them? Or is it, are they searching for a good fit for their dog? Or is it both? Mm-hmm. Because I know plenty of plenty of dog trainers who are who still search uh-huh. for different things, and I don't have that. Mm-hmm. And that may sound very arrogant, but again, I look at natural horsemanship. When I saw Buck, I was like, "That is the pinnacle to me." I'm I'm so fortunate and thankful that I did find natural horsemanship ship right from the get go, because. To me, it's the be-all, end-all when it comes to that complete harmony with your horse, but also it being um, functional in -hmm. life. Not just cow work, working cows or or roping or, or whatnot, you know, but just functional in life and how you overcome behaviors and fears, you know? Yeah. So that was the be-all, end-all. And so for for us like i said like i wouldn't be doing the gentle method if i knew there was something better right and again this isn't to sound arrogant but when i think about or observe other trainers going to other techniques maybe they've had this troubled dog that they're they're fostering or they're they adopted or they've had for years and they keep bouncing around from trainer to trainer. I'm like, why don't you just stick it out? Just stick it out. Like if you go to like a dog trainer who does obedience, just stick it out. And like, you know what I mean? I think sticking it out for you and me is longer in time. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm talking like years. Yeah. Like perfect it. Yeah. If it and feels then, good to you. Yeah, of if course. If it feels good. <laughs> right. But stick it out, perfect it, and then be like, and then see that it doesn't work or it or is it like their subconscious that's like pushing them to continue moving through because it's not working but it's it's kind of fascinating again coming back to this whole thing of we would never go and take a workshop and then turn around and teach it right and i'm also in that place in the a similar sense of I wouldn't practice something and then stop it unless it didn't feel good, which we did. Like our process was like food quickly ran through positive reinforcement and using food obedience and kind of like alpha ish thinking that lasted the longest. But eventually we hit a point where like, well, this doesn't work to the entirety that we wanted to. So then that went by the wayside. And now here we are with the gentle method. Right. We created, we had to create something. So is it, is that their process? Maybe. I think, I think that you're, there are going to be people out there that are just looking for that thing. Like the silver tick, like the silver bullet. um, Maybe what feels best to them. Maybe just the, on the feeling level of trying different methods and nothing feels um truly harmonious and so there's that movement 
from method to method because we did do some of that. You're very right in that. Yeah, I just I think about that from time to time because um, there's there's people that I mean we work with who take the workshop and then they go off and and learn other things and I'm just like hmm I wonder I wonder why well it's just their journey of course but I'm like I always think to myself I'm like what else can we do from our side to be like to to help them realize like this is um it will work like yeah. you you give yourself to it it will work period if it feels good to you of course if it because feels if it good doesn't you. then you're not gonna it's not gonna work right and i guess i think about it i'm like is that what other dog trainers feel like do is that what they feel with their technique that they teach you know is what is is that the feeling that they have when they're teaching workshops? Is it, if you commit to this, it will work. Right. Like whether it's play or whether it's obedience, do they have that same level of conviction? I don't know. I don't, I don't <laughs> either. I, it's interesting too, because what people learn from us, they're learning a drop in the ocean. In, in nine yes. hours. You learn anything for nine hours and you're just getting started. And that's, that's another great point where you're literally judging something on nine hours. Or maybe if you go to other workshops, I don't know how long they work with dogs, but it might be even shorter. Right. Like I know some people work with dogs for like 20 or 30 minute increments or something like that. And then if you go to that workshop and then you go and then start teaching, it's like, wow, that's not very much time. That's a quick turnaround. Yeah. <clears throat> to, to have confidence to go and teach. Yeah. Um, I mean, going, I'm sorry, but going back to playing an instrument growing up, or if you, you know, do anything, if you go into law, if you go into... Um, physical therapy or anything like that. You t you do it for nine hours and you quickly realize how terrible you are at it. <laughs> right. And how much, like, it's like the more you know, the more you don't know. Like, the right. more you see that there is so much more going on in what you're learning. Right. And I still have that, thankfully. Yeah. And I think a part of what, you know, some people um, learn different methods because it is a form of learning mm -hmm. and you know it's nice to continue to learn throughout your life um, and grow in that way i think it might just be different for some people like you and i grow within um like the gentle method and so it's one method and really diving into that one thing for other people, learning looks like um, many different things. Right. Which is just a different form. But sticking to one method doesn't mean you're done learning. Right. Yeah. Like it I'm, really, right. it doesn't stop. It's not like if you commit to one thing, you're done learning and that part of you is just shut off. Like it stays going. It's just different. It's just right. more refined. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely interesting things, observances that that we've made over the years, for sure, since embarking on teaching, you know, spending, you know, there's that Malcolm Gladwell book about 10,000 hours, putting that in, then you're kind of a master. I mean, I think it should be longer than 10,000 hours, (laughs) personally. I think it should be more like 20,000. Um. But in any event, uh, yeah, I guess I just, it's just interesting seeing people um, not putting in that 10,000 hours and going and teaching or not putting in that 10,000 hours and, and then moving on to another methodology. You know, not not really seeing it through and sinking your teeth into it and finding some ownership in, of it or understanding of it mm-hmm. before moving on. So, but I do think about that when it comes to other trainers, whether they're like, they emphasize more play or food or obedience or alpha this. If they have that same level of conviction in their methods and teaching it. Um, so, cause we still kind of are under our rock. Yeah. You know, I like our rock. Yeah, the rock's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a good, good little deep dive into some, some observations that we've had and some questions that we've had and then just some advice for folks uh, as they embark on finding a dog handler or if you want to call them dog trainers, dog trainer. And thank you for being here with us for this podcast. We hope uh, it was insightful and enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you.